Welcome into the Sayer Auto Group podcast. Zach Bennett, Chris Sayer, Nick Sayer. Today, we're going to talk about the power of no and why it is important for you to hear it early and often as a sales professional. We also have Nina from the Chrysler Deep Dodge Shore BDC. I guess the Sayer Auto Group BDC to discuss her time at BMW, now in the BDC department, helping with social media, highlighting her success here as well. That's all next here on the Sayer Auto Group. All right, so before we dive into the segment, I wanted to kind of ask, is there any good, whether salespeople, service people, you wanted to highlight for September, we're almost, uh, almost done with the month. Crazy enough, we're in the back half of the year or back quarter. So anyone you want to show some love to, guys? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> on our team, um, I'd like to shout out Mackenzie uh, in finance. She has made one of the most dramatic like turnarounds that I've ever seen. Um, and not that she wasn't doing great before, but she's pretty young in the, the finance side of the business. And, you know, there was a few difficulties in the beginning, like we all have. Um, but yeah, putting a lot of effort forth, discussion with us, uh, Nick, who's leading finance now, she has completely, you know, re-envisioned herself, I guess, in the role. And the numbers are showing. She's for a lot of the months, she was in first place. So I just want to shout her out. We're proud of her. Round of applause. Good job, Mac. Fantastic. Keep it going. You know, now's now is uh, not the time to quit after that. Let's keep rolling. I hope you crush everybody next month. Sorry, rest of the team. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope you destroy everybody. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're really proud of her. So that's a highlight here. Nick, what about you? Uh, no, welcome TJ, one of the new sales advisors on board. He's I think in his second month now at BMW, and um, he's he's off and rolling, uh, picking it up really quick, asking good questions, um, being very proactive in both his training and you know, always finding ways to to uh, improve and and um, be a successful salesperson. So congratulations to him, and uh, happy to have you on our team. Uh, keep that same ambition, you know, whether it's slow or or uh, busy, you know keep that same that same uh, motivation that's awesome yeah on our side uh kenny kenneth he's in his second full month he was hired at the beginning of of august and he sold card number 10 today um, he hit the double digits and i know he has one more scheduled to go out this week so i'm um, looking to finish strong with a few days left so um good humble dude uh who who works and and has does a really really good job building rapport with his customers so uh, good to see that. Like you said, when you hire someone on new, it's always you always always wonder how they're gonna. It's a different job than than most, different sales environment than a lot of them, and that's good to see people take it serious and hit the ground running. So, yeah, good, good job, job, Kenny. Good job, Kenny. All right, um, why don't you start us off, Zach? Yeah. By answering uh, or, or giving us a little insight into why the word "no" is so crucial to the sales process. Yeah. Um, I, we, we talked about a few things, but the, I always go, I sound like a broken record, but the Chris Vox book, Chris Voss's book, never split the difference highlights the power of no really importantly. Um, and pretty plainly, he starts by talking about those old cold car calls, especially when you have like landlines that you get, you still get them on your phones nowadays. And those telemarketers, they just start with trying to answer very simple questions or ask very simple questions that get you to say yes. 
Uh, and the whole idea was the gimmick was if you have them say yes enough, they get in the buying mood or whatever, a positive mindset, and they buy. But over time, especially with the FBI, they learned if they can pull the no, people typically will give up more information. And so we identified three different, I guess, tenets to why, as a sales professional, in a negotiation setting, you want to pull no's from customers at the very beginning, in the middle, and at the end, because that allows for a few different things. The first one is that elicits more information. So if you ask a no-oriented question, which there's four examples I'll show or tell you um, at the end here, but it, they will explain why. So if someone says like, yes, they agree with you, then there's really no reason to expound upon that. And so you don't pull any more details from, from a customer because it was agreed to. When they say no, so for example, if it's like, um, are you, is black the only color of vehicle you will buy? Or, you know, for it's a poor example of a question, but that being one, they say no, typically will follow with, I'm you know interested in X, Y, and Z. So you can get more information from someone who says no, and typically it's given up naturally. It's not another one where you have to answer, ask another question. They'll naturally feel like they have to expound upon the reason they just disagreed or told you. The second part is it creates a sense of safety. So a customer who ha- feels comfort enough, comfortable enough to tell you no is one that feels a place where they are, can freely talk and express themselves. Because a lot of times our, our natural instinct is to be liked and the way to be liked to bond with people is to feel like you agree with them because you want to say, hey, well, I'm familiar with you. I agree with what you're telling me. And so some people come in in a car situation and still want the salesperson to like them, to trust them. And so they'll just agree with them just because they don't want to be confused. And no comes across as and then it builds rapport. And so because you're opening up more pathways for conversations, it allows for more opportunity to have connections through the details. That they so okay. those are, those are the, the uh, kind of the three tenets. Now, the four kind of questions, like say, um, of nowhere any questions that really put the customer in a position to expound upon. So say like you're trying to get a hold of somebody, you just showed them numbers, it's a it's an internet lead or whatever, good one, have you given up on? You know, it's a good way to open up the conversation. Like, well, no, I've I've ran, you know, I've had a couple of meetings today, I haven't to kind of talk with them. Is it ridiculous for you to stop by, you know, this weekend to make some time? Um, would it be horrible um, if we set up a time for you to come look at this car? Like, and then is it a bad idea to look at a lease versus a purchase. So those are kind of four different ways to put in a position where it was like, well, no, it's not a horrible thing to look at. I just, I don't really understand leasing. And so I need some more information. So kind of like laying it out that that's kind of the, the three tenets of it and four example of how to frame the beginning of the question to set yourself up where they will then answer with a no because you're pulling it because it's never, you know, is now a bad time to talk. For example, if you finally call someone up on a cold call, and they say either no, I, I have like five minutes, then you can able to go into it. Um, or if they say yes, but I can talk, you know, here in a couple hours. So those are good ways to set up yourself so that you pull the no from them and then um, and then allow for more information to come. So I'll take that and we can continue to talk about it through the rest. But Chris, I want to ask you, from what we discussed, a lot of the reason the salesman will or salespeople will go away from seeking out the no is because they're afraid of that because it is a negative thing and again the conflicting things but how can they overcome that fear and see it as an opportunity rather than a setback in the process yeah i uh when i was doing finance i think in the beginning my first instinct was to be scared when i heard a no (laughs) it's like okay what do i do next yeah 
Um, but over time, I think I realized uh, it's also a test many times um, coming from them to us. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is uh, I think after working with one of our construction guys that buys a lot of trucks, um, I, I, I got a hard no from him. And at first, my first instinct was kind of just to like, okay, let's just move on. But I got a nudge from Marv, who was mentoring me at the time, and he wanted me to expound on the back-end product. And something came to me, you know, later on after this example, but with other customers, that I think they're trying to test you to see what your belief in that product is. So if you are to take the no and just move on and say, oh, okay, that's great. We don't need to talk about this. Then he sees or she sees that you don't believe in the product. If it's that easy for you to fall over and not, not stick up for what you're selling, then they're just validated in that thought like, oh, it's probably not worth it anyway. Not even the salesman believes in it, right? Right, right. So when I started kind of just shaking off no's and presenting anyway and actually showing like, no, no, you need to hear this opportunity. This is a great thing. Like this protects your car. I got guys uh, like that construction business owner to flip and end up buying the entire menu. He went from a no, I hate this stuff, I'll never <laughs> buy it, to buying it all. So yeah, that's a weird, that's a weird thing I, I learned over time, and I think it applies to a lot of our sales scenarios. But people want they're going to test your uh, belief in the product through no's, and if they if you fall over dead and just like move on then they're going to be validated in their thought that, oh, yeah, it wasn't worth it. That's why I said no. Like, they're, they're validating themselves in that decision. Right. That makes sense. And, like, in the finance and, and from what you've seen in, like, sales, how often are people yes on the first get-go? Hardly ever. Yeah. Hardly ever. How, I mean, so it really it goes from being fearful of it to just expecting it mm -hmm. uh, and being able to, okay, but everyone's no is different for a reason. Like you said, some people are no because they don't see any value behind it. And so unless you present the value, then there's no reason for them to look into it any further. Some people are no because of budget. So you got to figure out where their budget lies and, and get that part figured out. And some people are no because they've never once thought about it or had their dad tell them forever, never to look into X, Y, or Z. Like for me, it was, I would, for a long time, I was told my dad would never buy new cars. He only bought used ones for these reasons and same with the extended warranties. But me as a buyer, if I just was presented the right information, I could make my decision myself. So but if someone gave up, I wouldn't instinctually just said, no, I'm like, I'm okay. But if I was given a strong case for it, maybe my biases could be removed because it makes sense to me personally. So, but unless you are aggressive and push past that first no, then you're never going to be able to get to the, to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. So it matters how you react to that, I think, is another point. I, you know, that, think about that as well, because I've seen newbies, including myself probably, that just look stunned in a negative way <laughs> no and yeah just like demoralized and i think that really defeats everything like it defeats your effort so make sure that you respond in a way that's like empathetic yeah you want to show a little surprise but because there's so much value there you know not because oh i failed now what do i do like you know does that make sense yeah i guess my question would be so like if, if you were showing the menu or like showing numbers right Someone says, no, what's like your immediate response to it? So I like the little bit of surprise because then it catches them off guard a little bit like, 
oh, really? Like, okay, this is new to me. And usually people, you know, fawn all over this to get this ad to their car. Um, but how do you balance that with, yeah. like you said, empathetically trying to pull their reasoning? Why? What's a couple of good questions you found to ask in that situation? Um, I don't know. There's a, there's a few ways to approach it. Um, you could, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the best way that I used to overcome it. It is case it. by case for sure. Uh, anytime that, you know, you hear in my experience or opinion that you, you uh, immediately are responded with a no, um, I think taking an opportunity to ask the customer if they can you explain, you know, why you say why why you're saying no to what I just presented you with? Is there something here that doesn't make sense to you or that you don't see the value in? Um, do I need to go back and, and show you where this might be valuable to you? Or, you know, just taking taking a few minutes after you hear no to allow the customer to, like you said, kind of explain or expound upon why they uh, responded with no. So like like Chris was saying, and a lot of his experience as salespeople, especially when you're new, you know, almost you almost take no as like a relief, like, okay, sweet, I'll just move on, you know, keep move on, go <laughs> to the next thing, and, and you don't even try to um, remedy the no or figure out, you know, why the customer might be saying no. You just go on to the next and, and just hope to check the box, and you're just hoping to get a yes at some point, right, mm-hmm. and instead of taking time to explain and understand what, you know, what their understanding of, of what you just told them might be and, you know, trying to, you know, attack it from a different angle if you need to, that type of a thing. So, you know, that's kind of been my uh, experience with hearing no and reacting to no is, is not to just brush past it and, and go on to the next part and hope to get a yes on the next one. Um, kind of like what you talked about earlier, you want to try to get the customer in the, in the, in the, uh, habit of saying yes 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 but it, on the flip side you know if they get caught up saying no 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 then you know that that can be very <laughs> <opposite>. uh detrimental <laughs> to you to your pitch or sales process as well yeah the one thing i thought about um we have a few people great at this nick westfall's a good one but he uses a binary question um back from the no of like oh is it value related or is it a price related reason and then that makes them choose one or the other path and then he knows where to go from there so mm-hmm. if it's price related well you know we're running some good promos right now you know yada 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 i have a coupon let me go check my manager but they start working on the price side of it or value <clears throat> if it's value oh maybe i didn't explain that well let's go over really quick just the manufacturer warranty and then kind of where the gaps lie and where my product will fill those in Right. So he splits them, makes them answer one way or the other, because those really at the end of the day are the two reasons. They either think it's too expensive or the value's not there. And then from there, you can pick your branch down that road. And that probably goes for car sales as well. I mean, is it value or is it attributes of the car we're looking at here or is it a price issue, a payment issue, whatever? Yeah. And then you'll know, you'll be able to kind of direct them deeper into what their real apprehension is um if you just move on like nick said and start getting a, a bunch of no's in a row i think it gets you down the wrong path so use it as an opportunity to go to the binary question and then move down to what's their true fear here you know and what sometimes you find out they lie after too i mean i've seen 
price be the issue off the top, but then when you get down to the nuts and bolts, well, it's not really the price. I just, I, you know, I've just never bought Gap. I don't really understand. So they may even lie to you off the binary question, but it'll get you to the truth eventually if you have that persistence. Right. Um, and show that empathy. And, and empathy, what I mean by that in this situation is you really want to understand, like, I'm surprised that you don't want to buy extended warranty. Like, this is crazy. All my Jeep customers love this wrap. So I'm, I'm just kind of confused. I want to make sure, did I answer all your questions here? You know, because it's kind of rare for me to hear no here. Yeah. You know, so sh- you're showing empathy. Like, look, I know this is the solution you need um, or we're close to your solution. Let's just talk through it a little more and figure out how do I fill the gap here for you? So it, it is part of the empathy. Like, you really are trying to find the solution, not just on to more nose and kind of like what zach said i feel like a lot of customers especially in the car business have been coached or have a bad uh idea of you know buying a vehicle um especially in the finance office they've been told by somebody or they've had a bad experience in finance where you know the first thing they do when they sit down is i don't need to hear any of this Mm -hmm. i've been pitched it a thousand times i'm not buying anything you know, and that's, that's kind of, um, a lot of people's perspective. I feel like when they come in just because they've, they've been coached to hear that, but they, they don't really understand the value. Like Chris was saying that is behind a lot of the products that we offer, you know? So when you hear a, no, I don't want the extended warranty. I'd follow up with the question. Okay. Do you mind me asking, have you ever had your vehicle in for service before and got a bill that you were like, Holy smokes, I don't want to pay that. And and just see if they, you know, most people have, have had a service bill that they didn't want to pay or nobody likes to go to service, right? Nobody wants to go in and pay for, for their vehicle. So if you ask them about an experience, maybe they've had, yeah, I I brought my car in and I had to pay for a, you know, a a whole new transmission on my last one. Well, let's save you the money this time. And let me show you why this is so valuable to you, you know? So don't just skip over the word no, um, and us and accept the the standard i've already heard this pitch before i'm not buying anything so don't even bother right for me i i asked that question and like a couple when when asked what do you follow that up with because i think too often we think asking the right question is the most important thing to do and it's really stressful to think on the spot when you hit with something you weren't expecting to be like how do i ask the right question here and so that's why i always teach the tool of marrying because Especially when it comes to no, it is the simplest thing to do in the world. When someone says no, we talk about the surprise element to it. You just say no. And that alone right there, that, that'll pull all the information you need from your customer. So <laughs> this goes into like, so there's two different parts of it. Right? You have the, your, your negotiation of the numbers, which is kind of what we've talked about a lot here. But you have your, like, your needs assessment that you're trying to do as a sales professional. And that's where you want to pull some no's too. And that really is just to dwindle it down to the most important thing. But if you get, if you're stumped on a question and, or on a response and you're never really, like you don't know where to take it from there, just repeat what they just said back to you because it works every single time that they'll give it up freely. It, you know, if you're, if, so if I'm showing numbers and that's what we talked about, me and Rick this week of the numbers presentation, um, and you get to a part where they tell you, all right, so which one of these work for you? And they, you know, maybe they don't say no exactly, but they're just like, oh, that's not enough for my trade. Instead of being like, well, how do I ask? Like, how did you arrive at this number? Did you get, you know, instead of thinking about all that, it's like, not enough for your trade. 
Like that's going to pull. That was the rejection. That was them telling you no to the numbers, right? Just not in that exact wording. Just repeat it back to them and they'll pull and they'll tell you everything. They'll tell you their heart and soul about that reasoning. And it's, it's the simplest way to do it. And so if you're new and, you, and you're wondering, and even if you're a veteran, I highly recommend it because it is the easiest way to get all the information that you need. Because like you go back to the extended warranty talk of, you know, this, you know, like, oh, no, I don't need any of that. Don't need any of it. Like just kind of, what? That's the <laughs> craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> They'll tell you like, oh, I've never used Gap. You know, warranties are always overblown. And then from there, you can pull the information. And so sometimes That's we cool. overthink the questions to ask when really you just repeat back what they say on a rejection hmm. and you'll find everything you need to know off. Of. That's a cool trick. So, um, but I guess like other than any examples, I, I just wanted to kind of touch on like the, the psychology of it. And so ultimately you're going to fail in sales more often than you succeed. Like the percentages kind of just go that way. And we've touched on this here, here and there throughout the episodes, but when a customer says no and they leave and they don't sign, um, whether that's they leave your finance office without buying anything, they leave the lot with, you know, without buying anything. How can you mentally stay ready for the next one? What are, what, are, what are things you guys think are important to keep in mind when dealing with rejection, just using it as a learning tool, not a negative um, experience? Uh, again, in sales, I mean, we hear the word no a lot more than we hear the word yes, right? And mm -hmm. like you said, there's, we fail a lot more than we succeed. Um, and that's just the nature of the business that we're in. As salespeople, we're just trying to figure out how we can, you know, maybe grab onto a few more yeses out of all the opportunities that were presented. Um, and I think one of the most effective ways to, you know, be successful at sales is understand that first, that there's going to be a lot of no's. Um, a lot of people, when they're getting into sales, sometimes that's a shock and it can be depressing. You know, you'll go a few days and that's all you hear is no, 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 no. You know, and that's when you should take a step back and, and uh, you know, reflect upon what your process is, how you react to the word no, kind of like we talked about today. Are you just accepting no as the final end um, of that, that uh, potential sale? Or are you, you know, digging deeper to, to try to understand why the customer is saying no and, you know, finding ways to pivot, you know, based off of their, re their um, answer? So... It's probably one of the things that you should role play the most as a salesperson, both starting out and kind of like you said, as a veteran is, is uh, hearing no and hearing objections and figuring out, you know, how you're going to respond in those situations because, um, you know, it's easy to freeze on the spot. It's, it's hard to sometimes know where to go with the conversation when you're, when you're uh, responded with a no. So, um, that's my that's my two cents on, on it is just reflecting on, um, you know, where you're running into the answer no a lot and and how to you know maybe change your process if you need to, practice with your um, other sales associates uh, in areas that you may feel like you're weak at or or um, not having a lot of success after hearing no, um, and just and just working on 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 that part of it the response. Yeah, because I think about like just using round numbers. If and if you're counting like the service people you talk to, everyone that you talk to on the phone, everyone that you talk to coming in the store. Say you talk to a hundred people a month, right? And right now you're selling ten on average a month. 
and again, just using a very generic number, you know, you're failing 90 times out of 100 of converting the person you talk to into a cell. And whether that's straight up rejection or just not being able to get them on a test drive, whatever along the way that they said no to, um, it's important to understand that all you have to do is increase it, you know, one, two, I mean, five. Like mm-hmm. if you go from 10 to, you know, 10% to 15%, that's a massive jump when you're talking about that many people. And I always just think about it to like baseball, like someone who bats like a 281 is, I, I believe, a pretty good player. But someone who bats like a 300, which is like two more tenths of a percentage, is like a Hall of Fame. <laughs> and so it makes the, a big difference. Yeah. The difference between like in, and in golf, the, the difference between two strokes is massive when you're talking about the guys who play competitively. Like that's a lot to make up in a round and that's a lot to uh, to improve on on average. And so really small incremental changes seem like they're insignificant but over time make a big difference and so just to piggyback off that i saw i think it was dustin johnson actually i was scrolling on instagram i think and i saw a quote from him recently that just said there's really not a big difference between me shooting eight under par and me shooting even par (laughs) as a professional yeah right Um, as a professional it's sometimes just how the cards fall right so if you're consistent with your process and you're doing exactly what you know you should be doing, um, you know, hitting your shot exactly the way that you practiced, you know, some are going to fall your way. Sometimes it's not. And, you know, there is a little bit of luck that plays into it. And and uh, I thought that was an interesting comment, Absolutely. you know, from him that, yeah, a, a difference between an eight under round and an even par round really is not is not as different as you'd think it is. But you have to approach it the, the same the very next day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's. I think those are great points. I don't have a lot to add to that. <clears throat> Having a good perspective of that's the na- that's what this business is though does definitely help. Like understanding, it's kind of like growing up as a kid. I I always thought like my parents were perfect, adults were perfect, <laughs> and there came a time when I probably, actually probably like early twenties where I, it dawned on me that they're just the same as us, just trying to get by and make it through life. <laughs> And I think since I realized that, my life's been a lot easier um, as far as just I'm not as stressed about doing everything perfect and never failing. I understand that's part of life. and You just keep trying and grinding. And it just it made life more joyful, I think, in a lot of ways. So I, that, that relates to sales. If you understand the game you're in, it's a game of numbers, and there's going to be a lot of no's, then it doesn't throw you off that bad that Johnny said no to you. You know, it's just like, okay. Why did that happen? You know, or, and you find ways to navigate no's and get that one or two points better by self-analyzing, reflecting, like Nick said, on what happened today. Why did I get no's? Sometimes it's luck of the draw. Uh, you just got, you know, weaker leads, but other times there's something you can fix in that process. If you, if you analyze it and work on it with others and training and, and and question the vets. I mean, strong closers know exactly how to navigate no. Um, like Rick Wallace, he's our GM. I swear that dude's over a 90% close rate. And those are usually scenarios where the guy has been a hard no, right? Yeah. <laughs> when absolutely. you call Rick in is when it's like, crap, we can't get through on this. So he obviously knows what what to do to get around no. So watch those veterans, you know, if you're newer in the business. and. Even if you're older, it's always good to get a fresh idea and a fresh approach to know. But it's not something to get too upset about. It's it's the life of sales. You know? 
Yeah, and, and I just want to tie that in with the like with my previous experience, and I see it in the in the car sales as well. Is it was always interesting when someone would start with door to door and say start with car sales. They're really eager. They go talk to as many people as they can, knock on as many doors. So you'd have a high volume, and obviously because they're new, they'd have low yield. But what would happen is once they got discouraged, the amount of opportunities would continue to decrease, and their sales would continue to decrease as well. So I think about it like as a salesperson in a car dealership, we only think of like we like to protect ourselves and only think of the opportunities being like the golden leads and the ones that that come in like I have stock number picked out this that and the other. When we're hurting ourselves because we're not going and talking to every single service customer, every parts customer comes through the door, that's going to be a low yield result. But your numbers are going to be uh, you're going to be talking to a lot more people, mm. and so you're going to have to work through you know, the rejection of people just being like, I'm only here for service. I'm good. Like there's going to be a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. But if you pull one a month from that, if you pull and you get better at it, because it's inevitable that you're going to improve the, the, the change that will have on the dealership, the change I'll have on your life personally with, with your sales is, is massive. And so, yeah, like there's going to be rejection in anything new that you do or failure of everything that you do. But the only, and it's that cheesy quote, the only time that you fail is when you give up or when you quit. Like it's, it's, and, but it's true. And so see it through to the end. Look at yourself honestly and see what you're failing at when you go talk to a service customer. Am I coming on too aggressive? Am I not coming off helpful enough? Am I not asking the right questions? Work that with your manager. Role play it. Be better at it. And don't just sit around, uh, you know, getting more and more anxious and mad because you're not getting enough opportunities. You're not selling enough. Go create those opportunities for yourself. And you'll be amazed with where it takes you. So, okay. Amen to that. One more little little uh, thing I'd like to comment on is on the flip side, uh, as a salesperson, you need to sometimes know when to say no no to your customers. Well, <laughs> That's a good right? There's yeah. customers that come in that <laughs> want to take advantage of every cent that they can. Yes. Right? I mean, and it can get pretty ridiculous. So um, understanding that they're, you know, they need to respect some of your boundaries as well. And you, you as a salesperson shouldn't be afraid to say no as well. Yeah. Uh, if they're asking for outlandish, um, bizarre discounts or trade numbers, uh, I, th- I think they respect you more when you are firm. No, that's not going to happen. Right? right. Opposed to, Oh, let me go see if I can get you 15,000 more for trade. That just looks, that just, that makes you look weak. Right. That mm-hmm. makes you look weak. Um, like, and so by having a little bit of backbone and drawing the line early on, you know, in a, in a, in the process of mostly in negotiating is where, where you find this, that part of it. Um, but drawing the line early on is going to put a lot more money in your pocket as a salesperson. It's, it's easy to keep going and, Oh, now they want floor mats. Uh, yeah, now they want to see if you can tent the windows and, and all they're doing is just milking as much money out as you can. Cause they know that, you're too scared to say no. Yeah. Like on the flip side, you're so worried about satisfying the customer and saying saying no to them and ruin a possible sale that you'll you'll forfeit another two thousand dollars that you didn't have to. If you would have just said no, that's the best we can do. Uh, you know, this is more than a fair deal, and draw the line. Again, that's where you're going to make more money in sales, and customers are going to respect you more. You know, it might be a, it might be hard to say no sometimes, but like I said, I think that that adds value to you as a person uh and and uh yeah don't be afraid to say no yeah because it just reminds me i said this on the training video but to, to kind of just end it on that point it made me laugh because a lot of times you know cus- buyers are liars in almost every instance because 
just a few weeks ago, I went into furniture with my wife because we kind of wanted a coffee table downstairs for football season. You know, got to have the nachos go somewhere. So mm-hmm. we go in there and and we found the one that she liked and I was fine paying for it. But I was like, I mean, I'm in sales. I, I know that there's probably markup and I know this guy probably has no problem cutting it because I was the only person in that store. I was the only one there. So I walked to the counter. I said, you know, that one, we were at Modern Home and they had a similar one, but it was it was only you know this much off like can you do that for me i'll buy it right now but if you're not i'm just gonna go across the street and the guy goes on his computer and none of that was true i would have bought it if he told me no i would have bought it (laughs) at the price because it's one that shelby wanted so dilly dallies around he says you know what we'll match it and so i was like okay great you know and and bought the bought the coffee table so in essence like the buyers are liars like if he would just told me no i'd have been like Uh, okay yeah let's buy it so you never know like when they're fishing for the bottom i think it's a really good example of when you're doing that like just understand that sometimes they're just filling you out just to see where the limit is and there are customers like you said that'll push you to the absolute Mm -hmm. limit if you don't if you let them so sometimes you got to say no like you said to revert back control really good point so yeah great points fellas awesome well thanks uh, Again, thank you for tuning in. We're going to toss it over to Nana. Chris and Nick talked to her about her time at BMW, now her time uh, in the BDC as the whole group. So let's go over to her. Now we have Nana on, our special guest today, our employee highlight. How are you doing, Nana? So well. How are you guys? Great. Back again. Back again. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. So, yeah, we thought it would be special to introduce you. You've recently switched roles as well. as some of the other guests we've had. So you've come over from BMW as a service advisor, right? Yeah. How's that transition been uh, from doing that to now you're working on a little bit of social and some BDC stuff? What's Tell us about that. It was a very big jump, but it was a good <laughs> jump. I feel like where I'm at now fits my personality a lot better. So I just feel like it's a lot more exciting for me to come to work and like to do all these things and get to meet everyone and get to talk to everyone. With service at BMW, it, I mean, the client is so different mm-hmm. and not in a bad way. It can be good too, but it was fun and it was just a different environment, different work for sure. Because I mean, with service, you're doing just a lot more car stuff and a lot. I did a lot more learning, I feel like, in service than I do here. And I'll, what I do here is a lot more stuff that I already know. So I feel like I get to excel in it a lot better. Than I did in yeah. service because in service it was more of like I get to discover all these new things that I didn't know before. But either way, I feel like it was a good jump. So yeah, a little it bit was of fun. stuff yeah. carries over. Yeah. So you just backing up a little bit. You uh, how did you end up becoming a service advisor? I mean, Nick probably hired you or Rick at the time, right? So uh, it wasn't me. Yeah, tell it was us, Rick. Tell us. Yeah, like what, what got you in the car business? Started out as a service advisor. Um, you know, who brought you in and did it meet your expectations or was it not a career path that you saw yourself going? Tell us a little bit about that. You know what? It was kind of random, not going to lie, but it was a good, it was a good random because like the, how I got in was I knew Alex, Alex Martinez over mm-hmm. at the BMW store. And he's always been a family friend of ours. And he actually told my sister to come interview. And I think she ended up coming over and, and like interviewing with you guys, but she ended up going a different route. And when she came over, she's like, maybe you should go and like interview. Maybe they would hire you. And I was like, okay, like, sure. Like, I didn't even know what I was coming in and interviewing for. Honestly, like if I'm being completely honest, I just came in and I think Alex was sitting at the desk and I honestly didn't even like talk to Alex that much either. 
like I was just like, hey, Alex. And he was like, hey. And like, I just walked in and did the interview. And to be honest, like they, they were asking me. I remember this always sticks in my head. Rick was like, do you know anything about cars? And I was like, no, but I'm willing to learn, you know, and I feel like that really did it for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it did. You did. He, he mentioned that actually, um, you know, when we had discussions about different employees, you know, that was one of the things that stuck out to him and, you know, being honest and open and, and uh, just admitting that, yeah, I don't know a lot, but I'm willing to learn, you know, that went a long way in his book. And, um, you know, you were, how long were you over at BMW in service? I was there for a while. I was there for almost a year, over a year. No, it's like two years. Oh, two years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So you put in some time over there. I yeah. Did. Kind of became the golden child over there in service and, I know Gina was really sad to see you go as all of us were, but you know, you got to do what makes you happy. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully that transition, you know, has, has done that for you, but tell us a little bit about how service has, you know, your experience over there. How's that translated into maybe some of your successes that you're finding over here? Well, I feel like with BMW customers, they really do expect like a certain type of like service, like when they come mm -hmm. in, but I feel like, that was a good thing to like start off with because it makes you just like receive everyone with that same level of like high standard, which is never like a bad thing. And I feel like I just really learned how to like talk to people and how to really see what they're like because you're meeting people face to face. And I feel like in service, you're always, I mean, service is always, not always, but it's a lot of the majority is giving bad news. So you kind of learn how to deliver like good news, bad news, and all in between, but it's always a good thing to learn. And I always found that, I don't know, I feel like I started off very, I just kind of jumped in and did it, but that was like the best way I could have done it because I, I learned a lot off of it. And I feel like I, owed a, I owe a lot to that position because I learned so much from everything. That's awesome. You know, we've been a little bit notorious for, you know, just throwing people in and, you know, learn, learn on the go. But like you said, sometimes that's the best way to learn. Yeah. You know, you can read and train and practice as much as you want, but until you actually do it, you know, I feel like those are the, the moments that you learn the most. So awesome. Sure. Yeah. I, this <clears throat> also brings up another subject that I like is just I'm, we're trying to be employers that seek to appease the desires and wants of our employees as well. So we want you to be versatile and be able to switch to another division. And I'm glad you pushed for that jump to us. Because a lot of the times we don't, we try to look at our talent and see where it's best placed, but you know, it's hard for us to always know where talents would best be suited. And I can definitely see you're shining well at BDC. Uh, you're going to help us kind of launch um, more of like a personal identity to the community. These are things though I would have never known about you, Nana, like, cause I don't, one, I'm not at BMW right. and, and you know, it takes sometimes some prodding. So other employees, I guess my point is, uh, if, if you feel like you want to try another division or change into something else, like that's definitely on the table because our end goal is to best use and best utilize your, your talents as a, as an individual. So I guess, thank you for speaking up and I'm excited <laughs> to see what you produce here. I mean, speaking about kind of getting our identity out there, portraying us, like what, what do you think we can do to help you do that as employees? Like, what do you have in mind? And I talk about maybe some of that, uh, cause none of us are really great at being on camera. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> you probably get some pushback, but 
Yeah. What should we be keeping in mind as employees and how to assist you to kind of present ourselves to the public, you know? Well, I really like just how like open-minded you guys are. Because I feel like a lot of companies, if I would have been like, oh, I want to do this, they would have been like, no. <laughs> yeah. you know, but you guys were like, yeah, like, let's do it. Like, sure. Like, let's push for it. I think you'd be really good at it. And I think that's always a good thing to have, like in a business like this, because you guys are so open-minded to like other resources, which is good. Yeah. And I felt like that's something that really helped me finding this. Because I was really sad to go when I was at BMW. I really enjoyed like working for you guys. Like you guys have a great company. So once I heard about it and you guys were so open to me moving over here, I was like, yeah, like, I, of course I want to do it. Like, this is not a, a no brainer. I had to fight Nick. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I knew no, it. There were some little hard feelings because, yeah, yeah. Nana's a, she's, <laughs> a great, she's a great asset to the team. And, you know, I, whether it was a BMW or, or here at Chrysler Jeep Dodge, I knew she was, you know, worth uh, keeping on board and, uh, you know, coaching and, and allowing her to do what she felt, you know, would make her the happiest and most successful. You know, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's hard to enjoy coming to work one, but it's also hard to be successful at what you do. So, you know, kind of like what Chris was saying, some of that culture shift within our company that, you know, we want to make aware is just any employee that, you know, might not feel like they're in the right spot or or yeah, want to look at change, you know, we can always have that discussion. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen that day or right then and there. But, you know, just the fact that we're open-minded and willing to listen to our employees, um, talk about, you know, maybe the position they're in, if there's, you know, different changes or things we can do to maybe, you know, make that position more enjoyable for them or or, or make that work. Or if, if it's not a good fit, you know, try something else out. You know, that's that's kind of the, the mindset we want our employees to have. So. Yeah. It was a good thing, though, because I felt like you guys were the first, like, actual employees that I felt, like, cared. You know, you guys actually wanted to listen to what I had to say. And not everyone is willing to do that, which is something that I'm really grateful for because, like, I'm here now because of it. You know, <laughs> like, it's awesome. Yeah. So now that you're here, you've kind of got your feet wet a little bit on the BDC side, which for those that aren't familiar, that is our Internet response or lead response group. So if we get Internet leads or even phone calls at this point, they're fielding. Um Nena has the opportunity to kind of make contact with them through various channels, you know, email, text, phone. What's that been like? Is it is it a different approach than service? You said some of it was good that you learned over there how to deal with ups, downs, whatever. But how's that been challenging, I guess, or or easier? Um, I feel like it is a little it's just like a shift because, I mean, you're still communicating to a lot of people every single day, mm -hmm. but it is a different form of like communication that you're doing. And you kind of do have to have like a different approach to it just because like in person, you can really read off of like how people are like yeah. expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. So when you're over the phone, it's a little harder to do that because you're not sure if like what their emotions re really are besides <laughs> yeah. like how they're talking on the phone, you know, mm -hmm. but it's been good. I really enjoy it. And it's I feel like I'm very techie in general. So it's something that I just really enjoy doing and I get the hang up pretty easy. So. I think it just naturally flows with me yeah. and I enjoyed it a lot better. Plus you guys still give me the freedom to do a lot of videos. So I get, I think <laughs> I get the best of both worlds. I yeah. really do. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to focus on that. And, uh, for those listening as well, Nana will be approaching each of you probably eventually to do shorts 
and different videos and we're looking to get some customer testimonials so keep your good customers in mind uh, again we just want part of her job is going to be to help portray ourselves to the public whether that's on tiktok instagram facebook <clears throat> but just kind of show how we do things um so help her do that don't fight her when she wants to get a video or short just you know be part of that because you are the company you're what we're trying to portray so we can't hide you any longer <laughs> so yeah i'm excited to see what you come up with nena i think you'll do a great job there um yeah well, i mean kind of digging or diving off of that that uh, segment there chris um being a younger uh person here in our in our dealership um how do you, how does social media how do you view social media as as a consumer you know why do you value you know making tiktok videos or or being active on social media how does that impact you as as a are you a millennial gen what gen what are you gen <laughs> z gen z how does that impact the gen z's you know decision making on you know buying a car or you know is that something that you pay attention to is you know these people are active on tiktok i'm going to go check them out and does that impact your decisions i mean yes to me i feel like gen z is so involved in social media it's everywhere like literally i won't google stuff anymore i will tiktok it oh really yeah like and i'm sure if you would ask like a good majority of people that are gen z they're gonna say yeah i tiktok it because it's just like a lot easier and faster to find information just on tiktok but literally like everything's on social media now everything like i feel like it's silly of us not to advertise or do anything on social media because like everyone consumes it mm -hmm. like i guarantee you if you were to go if you were to go to like your dad's phone he probably has tiktok on there oh he does <laughs> he does i yeah. know that like I mean, even the boomers are on it yeah know? like it's everyone just... has social media you know like everyone it like i don't know i think social media is growing and it's not going to go away so it'd be so silly of us not like to implement it in our everyday life in our everyday advertising because that's everything that everyone consumes now is just social media and i feel like like tv and radio and stuff like that is really going out it's all social media now but i consume it like every single day yeah like, i'm on it all day every day yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of the way of, you know, just consumer shopping in general. You know, I think mm -hmm. everything kind of starts online. Yeah. You know, no matter what, it's just like you said, everybody's on there 24-7. And, you know, whether you think you're in the market for a car or not or whatever, you know, when something pops up, sometimes that's all it takes to grasp your attention. And yeah. then, you, you know, dive down that rabbit hole. Next thing you know, you're signing up on a new car. So <laughs> yeah. if you're not on there, you're, you're, you're probably losing out on a lot of potential. Um, you know, and social media, I think in general has just opened up the business to, you know, allow us to sell all over the country. Right. You know, before I feel like we were so, you know, handicapped by just, you know, the population that we have here, you know, Idle Falls, that this, that, and the other, but with social media, you know, we're able to expand, you know, our, our visibility, you know, yeah. to you know, a lot of different uh, outlying areas and, you know, People aren't afraid to buy a car from Idaho Falls that live in, you know, Texas or whatever anymore, you know. So if they see on social media and you have a good presence, a good impact on them, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, especially on the younger generations. I feel like now that everyone's growing up, I mean, I'm I'm Gen Z and I'm like <laughs> 21, you know, and I'm going to be in the market for a car. And I'm sure a lot of people my age are going to be in the market for a car soon. I mean, the first thing they're going to do is like look it up online right. and see who's out there. 
I mean, that's what I would do. I would go to TikTok and be like, <laughs> Idaho Falls cars near me. You know, like that's what I would do. So I would that's want. That's where you'd start. Yeah. So if you're not there, then, you know, you might not catch Nina as a customer. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, I think we'll we'll put our heads together and, and see how we can strategically maneuver through uh, the social media approach. I think especially for some of our used car, we have a great used car inventory and uh, stuff that's at better price points for or Gen Z, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just getting started. They don't want to spend a hundred grand on a car. So <laughs> some do, <clears throat> you know, we really, yeah, some of them do for sure. But, you know, pushing our Nissan brand forward, I think that'll be huge. Like we've talked about. So anyway, we're really excited to have you, Nena. Thank you for coming yeah, thanks on for today. your time. Cool. Um, and good luck to you. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Glad to be here.